0: Bailey, and a happy Easter from the Popcorn Junkie podcast. One more addendum for this week. Instead of trying to figure out what's going to come out in my area, I'm just gonna wait and tell you what I'll be reviewing at the top of every episode, because this is the second week in a row where something I said I would be reviewing didn't come out in my area. First, Midnight Special didn't come out, but I was able to replace that with The Bronze. And now, Get a Job didn't come out anywhere near me. So there's only two new releases for this episode. So yeah, no more predictions. We're just going to head right into it. So this week, we've got Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Justice, and My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. Let's get started. Tell me, do you bleed? You will. This is gonna be a fun one. So yeah, I am not currently a fan of Warner Brothers and DC. A quick warning, this review is riddled with spoilers, so if you haven't seen Batman v Superman yet, you have been warned. I think it was about the time Green Lantern came out that I finally realized, oh wait, they have no idea what they're doing. Because after Green Lantern flopped, then there was Dark Knight Rises, which was riddled with plot holes, Man of Steel, which was an unholy mess, and now we've got this movie, Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Justice. And let's break it down. Here's the recipe for Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Justice. You take one base Man of Steel, add two-thirds cup Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, add one-third cup The Death of Superman throw in a half a stick of Jesse Eisenberg's performance as Mark Zuckerberg from the social network, sprinkle in a little bit of Wonder Woman, stir it up, and render for about two and a half years. There you have it. That's what this movie is. It's mostly all of the same problems from Man of Steel, from just the abundance of destruction porn to the Very, very hard to watch blue-gray filter over everything to the dour and serious attitude that really takes away from what made Superman popular in the first place. I guess that DC wants Superman to make Batman money and that trying to be funny with Green Lantern didn't work at all. But maybe that's not because they tried to make Green Lantern funny, and more, they didn't know what they were doing with the character. Kind of like what Zack Snyder's been doing. Unfortunately, Batman v Superman is dominating this weekend's box office, so it's hard to complain when they see money and that's all they want. Oh well. This time around, we start with the aftermath of Man of Steel, where Superman is this controversial figure, and... Bruce Wayne thinks of him as a bad guy, this monster that needs to be taken down, and so does Lex Luthor. They both view view Superman as a threat. Meanwhile, Superman is trying to deal with everything that's been going on and trying to show the world that he is there to protect them, and somehow Wonder Woman and a bunch of the other future Justice League members will join in. And really, there's not much fighting between Superman and Batman. There's only really two fights between the two of them. There was honestly more fighting between King Kong and Godzilla, let's be honest. And then the whole thing culminates in one big brawl with Doomsday. And like I said with the death of Superman, they play off that arc in the comics. So yeah, that's Batman v Superman. It's a lot of the same problems I had with Man of Steel. And I didn't like it. I did not like it. There was... It doesn't say that it was bad, but whatever good is there is completely mired in the awfulness of Zack Snyder's direction and terrible writing and just ugly, ugly production work. Aside from Man of Steel, which I could go off on a whole other thing, we've also added Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, which I also should admit I don't much care for. I understand the significance of Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, but having read it recently, I think it's more of a progenitor of his future works, like All-Star Batman and Robin, Holy Terror 300, you know, his usual tropes. Women are whores, and men who don't like to kill things are essentially women. More to the point, that version of Batman isn't all that great of a Batman. It really takes away from what the character is to most people. There's a line I read that was posted on Reddit from the Kingdom Come miniseries, and it was a Superman saying to Batman that the one thing they had in common is they didn't kill people. And at some point along the way, DC and Warner Brothers seem to have forgotten that because they sure as hell like making Batman and Superman kill people. Like... In this movie alone, the body count is, what, probably in the hundreds, close to a thousand from both of them? Not just from fighting each other, just from Batman alone kills probably like over a hundred people. It's crazy how they never think of how to do these characters. They're so worried about making Michael Bay style action that they never think that these characters aren't meant to do that these characters were not trying to hurt people. They went out of their way to do things smarter than that. But the people making these movies aren't smart. They're 13-year-old boys with thinking, "Oh, you know what we need to do is make Superman like Transformers." Mm. So yeah, you've got that going. Plus Wonder Woman, despite Gal Gadot's, you know, okay physical performance as the character, By that, I mean the way she looks and the way she acts as the character is pretty much how you would do Wonder Woman. The only thing I would question is the accent that she throws in, but I guess that's just me. I'm used to more of a Shakespearean actress-sounding voice where it's deliberate and big. Where I feel like the uh, Wonder Woman from the Justice League animated series was pretty much how I envisioned Wonder Woman. That's... In fact, the Justice League pretty much shaped how I view the DC characters. It's That's how I view Batman. That's my best version of Superman. That's my favorite version of Wonder Woman. So, yeah, I'm more used to that. And so, yeah, Wonder Woman wasn't bad. In fact, she was probably the best thing about this movie because she wasn't terrible. Speaking of terrible, let's talk about Lex Luthor. Or should I say evil Mark Zuckerberg? Or should I say more evil Mark Zuckerberg? Because... Seriously, that's all Jesse Eisenberg did. I've seen articles about interviews with him where he's like talking about how he got into the character of Lex Luthor. He just repeated Mark Zuckerberg. That's all he did. He was Mark Zuckerberg if Mark Zuckerberg wanted to kill Superman. That's all he was. Also, if Mark Zuckerberg was even more autistic, that's really what I got, because he would do a lot of motions with his hands and really weird things. Like, it felt like he had a tick. It felt like he was trying to play somebody who was, m- m- you know, pretty lower-functioning Asperger's, where it's like, at where they're really smart, but they're very weird, and it's It's hard to describe, and I'm doing motions in front of the microphone that you cannot see trying to get into Jesse Eisenberg's rendition of Lex Luthor. This is how he plays Lex Luthor, and it comes off more as the Joker. Like, the stuff he does in the movie and the way he acts feels like Jesse Eisenberg was trying to play Lex Luthor like the Joker, Because that's what it sounds like, that's what it feels like, that's what it looks like. He's not Lex Luthor. You want Lex Luthor, you go for a very big business tycoon. Like, Donald Trump is Lex Luthor, or, you know, very... Actually, you know what? Yeah, Donald Trump is essentially what Lex Luthor should be. A big business tycoon, sometimes politician, who's, you know, very pompous and just hateful, and he's more... If we're going for an ideal Lex Luthor, once again, going back to the Justice League animated series, the way Clancy Brown played him from the carryover of the Superman animated series, that's kind of how I envision Lex Luthor. Conniving. Subdued. Like, he's not a fighter. He's a thinker. He tries to outthink Superman. But he's also very narcissistic. He thinks he's so much smarter than... He knows He's smart, and so he thinks he's smarter than Superman, and that's what always gets him into trouble. It's because Superman manages to outthink him because he's not perfect at thinking out his plans. There's always some step he always forgets because he's a narcissistic egomaniac. This isn't what we get with Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg gives us if Mark Zuckerberg was the Joker as Lex Luthor. And I am baffled at what I was seeing on screen. I was just unbelievable what he did with the character because it is so off base. He is way out in the stratosphere with his portrayal of Lex Luthor. Like, it's nowhere near the comics. And not that you have to be accurate to the comics, but it helps. It helps trying to be the character that people envision Like, when you read Lex Luthor in the comics right now, if you pick up the most recent issue of Action Comics or Lex Luthor Comics or whatever he's in currently, you will not see what Jesse Eisenberg does on screen. You won't see that in any depiction of Lex Luthor ever because he's not depicting Lex Luthor. Nothing about him is even intimidating. That's the thing about Lex Luthor is he's intimidating. Luthor scares Superman because Superman knows he can't trust him. And there's nothing he can do about it because he wants to abide by Earth's laws. But he knows that Luthor will subvert them and he needs to find a way to stop him. That's Luthor. He's intimidating, conniving, this just almighty presence that you should feel while watching him. And yeah, he was kind of comical when he was played by Gene Hackman, and a little bit when he was played by Kevin Spacey, especially the, the whole wrong sequence that Kevin Spacey did. And I feel like that's what people are missing. He's not like the Joker. He is, to compare to another Zack Snyder property, Lex Luthor should be more like Ozymandias, only more imposing. Ozymandias is in the Watchmen movie, was a thinker. He could outthink everything, and he was—he was that sort of behind-the-scenes presence. Whereas Lex Luthor should be that, but more imposing. Like I could picture Lex Luthor being played by Michael Clark Duncan. That would make a perfect. Like Michael Clark Duncan makes a good kingpin. I could—I would love to see him as Luthor. This businessman who's just like this sitting back conniving. He's got this deep voice, Superman. It, I just, uh oh, thinking about that gives me chills. I would love to see that. But that's not what we get. We get Mark Zuckerberg as the Joker. Thanks, Zack Snyder and Jesse Eisenberg. Way to crap the bed on that one. So, yeah, I really am not a fan of this. And I keep hearing people, like, saying, oh, it's not that bad. People are making it sound worse than it. It is that bad because... How can you watch that? Well, Transformers prove that it doesn't matter what you watch. As long as they're moving pictures on the screen, people will watch it. But I guess I feel like they could do so much better. Like, I'm hearing that it's setting box office records, but at the same time, they say that about pretty much big. Deadpool broke box office records. You know what box office records those were? R-rated and R-rated in February, and I think February. That's it. Those are its records. It's not like the biggest ever. Like, I don't see Batman v Superman reaching Star Wars or Avengers numbers. Because after a while, people are going to get sick of it. Whereas Avengers, you could watch over and over and over again. and Star Wars, you get that real sensation of the old series, and you want to see it again for the most part. Like, I could sit through Star Wars again. I haven't sat through a movie for a second time since last summer with Mad Max, but you want to see those movies again. You want to keep on watching them. You're willing to pay for the ticket prices to go support this movie because you enjoy it. I don't see that with Batman v Superman. It's not something to enjoy. It's, It's too far up its own butt, for one thing, because it's so... Philosophical about the nature of God and man, and is Superman really Lucifer falling from the heavens? And blah, 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 blah. This would work if the director behind it was taking it seriously. Zack Snyder is not taking this seriously because he wants to do that, and then he also wants Superman to punch Batman. Whatever, okay? And speaking of Batman, God, the plot holes in this movie because. Clark Kent is just now investigating Batman, despite the fact that Batman has been around, according to Alfred, who is done very well by Jeremy Irons. Who would have thunk he would have showed up? I mean, he's fantastic. He's Shakespearean grade. So, hey, if Michael King can do it, so can Jeremy Irons. Good for him. He did good. But Alfred says that they've been doing it for 30 plus years, the Batman thing. And. Clark Kent is just now discovering and they're treating it like it's the new Batman from Gotham. I guess he would have been known from Gotham, but wouldn't he have also been known to Metropolis just by word of mouth and rumor by that point already? Why is this new when you're trying to say that it's old and... ah, uh, Not to mention the fact that despite the fact that they've also used Death of Superman as a base... They've also given away the twist mid-mo- mid-fight with Doomsday. That's the other thing. Doomsday is now Zod mixed with Lex Luthor, which I guess, okay. But I feel like if you want to make that, I don't know. It just feels like this was way too many ideas crammed together. Like, oh, we can't make Batman and Superman fight the whole movie. They have to fight a bigger bad. And the only other big bad they can think of is Doomsday. And the only thing I can remember from Doomsday is that he killed Superman. And big twist from 20 years ago, he didn't really kill Superman because Superman still sells comics. That was back before the big death in comics was a, you know, a hack move. Back then it was like, oh my God people aren't buying our comics. Let's kill somebody famous so that they will start buying our comics. That was a big twist in the 90s. That's what they did to Superman. And that's what they did to Captain America. They've done it to Batman. And now if somebody dies in the comics, some kind of superhero magic, they're back. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Death is nothing in comics. So yeah, when they reveal that Superman dies at the end, guess what? He was blown up by a nuclear bomb in space and he was healed by the sun. So yeah, I'm not buying that Superman is dead, especially from the big thing at the end where, oh, he's coming out from the grave with the frickin' like five, 10 minutes of funeral scene. He funeral marches at the end with frickin' amazing grace on the bagpipes like they think it's Wrath of Khan. Oh, God, this movie. Just thinking about it leaves a bad taste in my mouth and this is gonna be one hell of an edit for me after this but yeah these are my ramblings on batman v superman because it's driven me mad with terrible writing and just awful production it just looks like garbage on screen like even from the previews it feels like someone smeared black ink over the print and it's like oh crap we can't do a new one quick send it out send it out send it out Uh, And God help you if you see this in 3D, because those glasses just make the screen darker. I mean, you might as well be looking at a black screen if you're watching this in 3D. So yeah, Batman v Superman. Very not recommend. Probably gonna end up somewhere on my worst of the year list. We'll see. We come from a long line of strong women. Remember Paris, protect the Polaki. Eyes open, knees shut. If your knees are open, shut your eyes. Huh. You know, in the weekend that Batman v. Superman came out, who would have thought that a sequel to a rom-com from 2002 would be the better movie? Because that's what happened. That is what happened to me this weekend. I had to buy my big fat Greek wedding one on iTunes for 10 bucks to actually watch it in preparation for the sequel. And all I can say about the first one is it feels like it was made for TV. Like the quality is made for TV. The writing is made for TV. The characters are okay. Like it's all very kitschy. And that's what you get when you hire the guy who created Full House to direct your movie. So yeah, it was good. It was very kitschy, very heavy on narration to try and explain all the Greek eccentricities. But for the most part, it was okay. Like, I like the fact that Nia Verdalos isn't Hollywood pretty. She dresses down at the beginning, and then even when she dresses up, she doesn't look super amazing hot. Like, when you see big makeover reveals where it's like, oh, yeah, the hot girl who wore glasses is actually hot. Nia Verdalos isn't hot. But that's not to say she isn't pretty or, you know, beautiful. Like, when she dresses up, you know... She looks like anybody who dresses up and wears makeup in the right way to accentuate their features. She looks good. She's funny, and honestly, I could date a girl probably more my age because I think Nia (laughs) Vardalos is closer to my mom's age. But if a girl I met was like Nia Vardalos, just kind of clumsy and awkward and very introverted and surrounded by all this chaos— I could be like the Ian guy in that movie. I could totally see myself asking her out. I don't know if I'd last through the Greek induction ceremony that they put Ian through in the first movie, but I'd give it a shot because I like girls like Nia Verdalos in that movie. Come sequel time, we're 14 years from the first movie, and this time around, it's taking the girl that they had at the end of that movie and putting her in that senior year of high school where she's about to pick a college. And the big... Uh, conflict there is will she stick to Northwestern in Chicago where the movie's set or will she go off somewhere else? Along with that, the big wedding storyline conflict is um, the dad just realizes going through his old things that the marriage certificate he got with his wife wasn't signed by the priest when they first got married leaving Greece for America. So technically they hadn't been married that whole time. And so the wedding is the parents' wedding this time. I like that. It's better than trying to marry off the daughter. But I like the idea that it's the the big twist is, in your haste to leave for America, you didn't get officially married. So now you have to get officially married. It's clever, you know? I mean, it's probably not clever when you think about it and, like, all the different sitcoms that have probably tried that. But, hey, if you're going to do another wedding, might as well do that. So the big wedding that they're preparing for is the parents. There's old age that they're dealing with, like teaching the dad how to use a computer and having to deal with a lot of the issues of being old, like, you know, just the way, how your body isn't working the way it is. And, and with main characters, Nia Vardalos and John Corbett, they are trying to rekindle the romance during this whole thing because they felt they've lost it because they're so worried about their daughter leaving that they neglected each other. They've been so busy parenting that they haven't been husband and wife. And so there's an ongoing storyline of them rekindling their marriage. And it's sweet. I really dug it. I really enjoyed sitting through this movie. Like, a lot of these times, I don't enjoy sitting through rom-coms because so much of the writing is kitschy and hacky and not very well thought out. Like, with How to Be Single, I didn't like most of that movie because it was so trying to be funny while not being funny here they're definitely trying to be funny but at the same time it's trying to be funny in a way you haven't seen before so it's not as predictable some references to the first movie but the jokes honestly are a lot better in the second movie in fact the filmmaking is better because the second one feels more like an actual movie because there's higher production quality there's less reliance on near verdales's narration there's more reliance on the visuals and it's really a much better movie than what Nia Vardalos did the first time. And I feel like it's an example of the differences that are made between one movie and its sequel if the person making it gets more experience during that time. Because that was Nia Vardalos' first movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. This is more like her eighth, ninth movie, I think, something like that, as a writer. And it shows that she's matured as a writer and that she's gained more experience and that she knows how to write a better movie than the first time around, which is very heavy on narration to explain what's going on, rather than allowing for the movie to explain what's going on, which I think was one of its major downfalls. And, yeah, who could imagine that the sequel to a rom-com from 14 years ago was better than the big superhero movie that came out? Because, I mean, some of my favorite movies to come out by year's end of of the previous years have been Avengers, Pacific Rim, Captain America, Guardians of the Galaxy. I like big budget comic book movies, and yet Warner Brothers and DC never do it for me. They just don't have the right guys making those movies. And until they do, at least I've got Marvel. And at least I've got (sighs) my big fat Greek wedding to to make up for a bad weekend Oh God I can never see this happening in a million years uh, anyway after the break we'll be back with discussion on how to make a Superman movie. Yeah, I am, I am Superman. say off the bat, think of this segment as a preview. I just started my Patreon, I'll plug it at the very end, but one of the things I want to do through Patreon is start a second podcast called Make a Better blank, you know, insert movie title here, or franchise title here. Um, It's something I wanted to try as a video series before switching over to podcasts, but basically the idea for the podcast would be discussions on how to make a better version of What initialized the thought was Fantastic Four. I watched that last Fantastic Four movie that was a steaming pile of crap that looks like the thing, but I wanted to make a better version of that movie, and so I was having these ideas run around in my head of how to make a better Fantastic Four movie than what they've given us, and so make a better movie, you know, make a better blank. Now, I've actually made a Google Doc of all the ideas I wanted to do for this series. So you've got Fantastic Four, Age of Ultron, Masters of the Universe, A Nightmare on Elm Street in that how to make a better sequel reboot version of that, Jurassic World, Strange Magic, Oz the Great and Powerful, Dark Knight Rises, how to remake Total Recall, make a better Transformers movie, things of that nature, you know, things that are not good to watch, not fun to watch, and how to make a better version of that as a discussion point and try to, you know, run it through my head. That way it's out of my head and in the universe, as it were. Think of this as a precursor to that series, should it ever get made. This is pretty much how to make a better Superman movie. And basically what I did for this segment is compiled a list of Superman villains that they've never tackled on film and Superman story arcs that I think would make for good movies. Now, one of these that I wanted to talk about, the one that really inspired this, was a story arc that was turned into an animated movie called Superman vs. the Elite. And it's a story arc in the comics called What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way. And that's in reference to an Elvis Costello song called What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. But And anyway, point is, uh, that one has Superman dealing with this more violent superhero group called the Elite, led by a British superhero called Manchester Black. And honestly, I could see David Tennant playing this guy perfectly. You know, he's like this British punk guy and I could totally see David Tennant. If you look at him, you could probably see a David Tennant too, but then David Tennant's playing the purple man in Marvel. So he doesn't look anything like that character. So really it could be any number of British punks. Point is, Manchester Black is this British psychokinetic who kills people with his mind. And he leads a group of superheroes that kills bad guys. And people are getting all pumped up about these new superheroes. And Superman is the old way. His way doesn't work. We need men who kill the bad guys. And then Superman goes on to show these superheroes and to show the world what that really looks like. And that that isn't necessarily the right way to solve the world's problems. And I think that would make... For a solid movie. I mean, it made for a decent animated movie. And I think if you really fine-tuned the story elements of it, you could really make that into a solid, you know, Superman movie. Where it's not just, you know, Superman gets to punch things, but you also get to explore Superman as a character. One of the other ones I got is an Elseworlds comic called Superman Red Son. And if you don't know what that is, that is an Elseworlds, which is sort of a what-if storyline for DC characters. And in this universe, Superman landed in the USSR and not in Kansas. So he became a superhero for the Russians. And that could make for a good movie. I hear good things about it. I'll say off the bat, I haven't read any of these storylines. I just know the basics of them and that I think they would make for good stories. And I think if you tackled Superman as a Russian superhero. That would be fine. I mean, that would make for a decent movie. I could watch that. This next one is something called Superman Transformed, with an exclamation point. So Superman TRANSFORMED! And that is basically Superman loses his powers. It was post-Return of Superman, so it was after the death and return of Superman during that whole period of the 90s where they were just grabbing at anything to try and sell comics to people. So yeah, Superman lost his powers. But... Cut that away from the 90s drama behind the scenes at DC and in the comics, you could probably tell a good story of Superman losing his powers and what he's willing to do to get them back to help people. That, I think, could make for a good story. Next up, uh, we've got an older one. I think it's from, like, just after the Crisis on Infinite Earth story arc in the 80s. There's an arc in the Superman action comics where he meets a cult that worships him as a god. And I think that might make for a decent story arc if you do it right. Superman stops a murder attempt on these people and it leads them back to their home, which turns out to be an occult group of Superman worshippers. From what I hear, it's a decent story arc. And I could totally see that working for a movie somewhat. Maybe not a full movie. I guess an animated movie that would be better for. But I feel like that's a story arc that... That isn't. T- I mean, they tried to tackle viewing Superman as a god or Jesus figure in this movie, in uh, Batman v. Superman, but that was so horribly done, I don't want to think about it. Uh, we've also got Last Son of Krypton, which was a story arc in the comics where a pod crashes into Metropolis, and Superman thinks it's another Kryptonian. So it's essentially the new Last Son of Krypton, and it's about Superman raising a super child. Once again, I haven't read it, so I don't know how it turns out, but I think that might make for an interesting movie where Superman meets another Kryptonian. You could tie that into Supergirl in some way because I know there's also that. They they haven't really tied that into the cinematic universe, really. There was a the Supergirl movie in the 80s, which was bad, and the TV series that just got canceled. But, you know, you could make it work if you had the right writers coming up with the story. There's a recent arc in the comics uh, by Scott Snyder, no relation to Zack, who was best known for the American Vampires series, which was a Vertigo series about vampires in America. It's a really good series. I suggest you go read that. I've actually read some of those issues. He's a fantastic writer. Uh, And he started writing for Batman. And then he started writing a series for Superman called Superman Unchained. And it's essentially another big bad super villain for Superman to fight. And I think that might make for a good Superman movie because it ties into a recent story arc that people can go back and read that's within publication. You know, it's something that happened to the comics that people don't have to dig far back to go look for. Whereas a lot of what's been going on is over 20 years old. I mean... The Dark Knight Returns came back in the 80s. The death of Superman was in the 90s. And most of the people who are going to see Batman v. Superman were born well after those happened in the comics. And they were completely undone. So why not do something that's more recent? You know, especially since Warner Brothers owns the rights. So what's the big problem? Another one where it's called Men of Tomorrow, where Superman meets a hero called Ulysses, I believe. And it's Superman meets a second Superman. So it, you could call it Super, uh, Superman and Ulysses, the Men of Tomorrow. You know, something like that. And it's a Superman meets a second Superman. And the two of them, that's why he has a peer. And I think that might be an interesting movie to do. Next up, you've got, uh, there's a storyline in the comics called Camelot Falls, which is in reference to the Camelot that Superman made of Metropolis. And the falling because... Superman superpowers brought in all these different supervillains. And that might make for a good one. I know they tackled that a bit in The Dark Knight because it was tackling the idea of Batman bringing in these supervillains. And I know that's been a thing in Batman comics too, so that might make for a good Superman movie. The other one I found was called Superman Shadows Linger. And it's about a very minor villainous called the Insect Queen, and it's mainly had ties to Lana Lang, which was an alternative love interest to Lois Lane. And in Shadows Linger, the Insect Queen wants to invade Earth, and she does it with the help of Lex Luthor, and Superman has to stop the two of them. And I think the Insect Queen, at least it's something. I mean, I don't know how you make a woman who controls insects work on screen. I don't know if they're giant insects or if it's all the insects on Earth, but I feel like there's something there. You know, it's a villain we haven't seen before. And, I mean, Marvel's bringing in characters like Iron Man, who was, like, a second-tier superhero before Robert Downey Jr., and characters like... The Guardians of the Galaxy, who are like, you have to dig through old archives of Marvel comics to find them. And if we can make them mainstream, why can't we do that for minor characters in DC? So yeah, let's do that for Insect Queen. Let's do that storyline. And the only other storyline I dug up was President Lex, which was an arc in the comics where Lex Luthor became president. And I think that could only work once you've established Lex Luthor. Like that might work going into a Justice League movie or going into like a, you know, a second Justice League movie where Lex Luthor is an established character and he, you build up his ambitions to become president. And then like every so often, if you don't see him as the villain in a Superman movie, you see campaigns for, super, you know, Luthor for president. And then that becomes the next Justice League movie. I could see that working. I don't see DC doing that because I don't see DC doing anything of quality. But then that's just me. Uh, Back to the notes. The only other thing I did for um, this discussion was was try to dig up some villains that haven't been tackled. The big one is Brainiac. Brainiac has been a big villain for Superman in the comics and in the animated series. And he's a computer system from Krypton that survived its destruction and made its way to earth. And he's been a major villain for Superman in the form of a bald Android. And I could see that working. Like I could see a storyline where a piece of Krypton or a Kryptonian ship breaks free and the AI from Brainiac attaches itself to a human host. And then it starts to build all these different tech to try and make earth better for it. And then it. I could see that working as a concept. Like, I could see that Superman having to fight this AI instead of a robot. You know, that way he can't punch an AI, and it's dealing with the technology of Earth. So how do you beat that? You can't beat it with your fists. The next big one is Bizarro. Bizarro is kind of an odd concept. It's very comic booky. Bizarro has been introduced in sort of an alternate world where Superman is the bad guy, one of the other Alternate worlds where Superman is a bad guy and Bizarro is like this ugly, hideous, melting wax figure version of Superman, but still has all his powers. And I could see like a Lex Luthor experiment going wrong or Superman visiting that alternate world during some event and then Bizarro Superman takes his place. And then the two of them have to fight. But yeah, you could do Bizarro. Bizarro is like one of the mainstays of Superman villains. So why haven't you done him? I mean, you created Nuclear Man to try and fight him. You brought in Zod to fight him. Why not do Bizarro? I mean, they're trying to do Lobo, so there's that later on. But if you're trying to find something for Superman to punch, you've got Bizarro, you've got Black Adam, who they're saving for Shazam, I know. I think he's supposed to be played by The Rock still. They've also got a character that was a former Green Lantern villain that you could do for really any of the DC superheroes, Solomon Grundy. Solomon Grundy has been a part of the um, League of Supervillains for a long time, and he's essentially a giant walking zombie. He's like the Hulk if he were a zombie. Like I could see Hulk and Solomon Grundy going head-to-head and not finding a clear-cut winner. Maybe the Hulk because the harder he'd try to beat Solomon Grundy, the angrier he would get, but... That's not the point. Point is Solomon Grundy would be a perfect, unstoppable punching thing for Superman, so he would have to outthink Solomon Grundy. Although for Solomon Grundy, he might as well just toss him into space, so maybe not. Either way, Solomon Grundy would be good. Uh, there's a character they introduced called Parasite, who is I believe Kryptonian technology created this parasite, quote, you know, a a being that lives off of energy, and he. Saps Superman's energy. And it, the idea would be uh, Superman unable to tackle this guy because whenever they fight, Superman always gets drained of his power. And so Parasite is like this unstoppable monster. And so he goes around stealing energy from the rest of the city. Lex Luthor teams up with him because Lex Luthor saw that he beat Superman. And then there's backstabbing and betrayal, and then Superman comes up with a way to beat him, and I could totally see that working for a movie. Uh, I've already mentioned the Insect Queen and the Elite, and then the only other real one that came up was Atlas, which I think is like a version of Marvel's Hercules, where it's like just an older mythological named super character. And there's an arc called The Coming of Atlas, and... You know, I don't know how good it is It's getting middling reviews on Amazon from the people that have reviewed it, so I can tell you how good the story arc is of how they introduced Atlas, but having a super character that's as strong as Superman, I could see that working. You've got so many other planets in the universe that Superman fights guys with, like, Darkseid and Mongol and, you know, so many other monsters from space. You've got alternate versions of Superman from the different infinite universes, which is something that I could totally see them trying to do if they went with the Marvel route. You could see them introducing the alternate uh, lead-up to Infinite Crisis and all those crises on Infinite Earths and all that sort of stuff if you had somebody with the writing skills to develop that over multiple movies. But DC doesn't want to do that because they're still playing catch-up with Marvel, who's made way more money while they've been sitting around with their thumbs up their but not knowing what to do with their own damn characters. Uh, Anyway, it won't be this rambling, but basically that's what I want to do with the Make a Better Movie podcast, which makes for a perfect segue back to Patreon. That's right. I've actually set up a Patreon to try and turn this into a profit-making venture. So yeah. If you are a subscriber on Patreon or would like to subscribe to me through Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash junkie or just look up Popcorn Junkie on the Patreon search bar. Then you can actually become a patron of the podcast by donating your money to help me do what I do, which is mostly paying for movie tickets and eventually paying for internet to, you know, upload and host and record and all that nonsense. And with Patreon, the amount of money you donate leads to a goal that I've set for the podcast. So, the first goal is this Make a Better Movie podcast, which starts when I've earned $100 through Patreon. And future goals include starting up personal reviews for Patreon subscribers, making Let's Play videos again, and making more video reviews if I have enough money coming through Patreon. And not only that, but each level of patron gets its own reward. See, you can literally donate a dollar, and you're helping support the podcast. And by just donating a dollar, you can be thanked by the end of, at the end of each episode in my own way. However, you are more than welcome to donate more than a dollar if you want to help this podcast grow. And there will be rewards for you along the way that I still need to set up and make sure that they work within Patreon's limits. The only other one I have at this point is at $25. You get to choose what movie I have to review for the Patreon subscriber request reviews, be they audio or video, depending on where I'm at with this podcast. So yes, if you'd like to help support the podcast, please donate through Patreon. And if you don't have the funds to donate through Patreon or you don't want to give your money to some schmuck recording podcasts in his mom's basement, you can also help the podcast grow by following us on Facebook and Twitter. Follow us at facebook.com slash popcornjunkie and on Twitter at cornjunkiepod because somebody else already took popcorn Junkie. Anyway, not important important thing is follow us on social media at facebook.com slash popcorn junkie and on twitter.com at corn and if you do that you get to have sneak previews of my thoughts for each weekly review Because I always post my thoughts coming right out of the screening of a movie. And if you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe to us on Podomatic at Popcorn Junkie. Just search for Popcorn Junkies on Podomatic. I'm trying to get myself on the iTunes store and on any of the other podcast platforms. But if you look for me on Podomatic, you will also find my RSS feed. So you can subscribe in whatever audio podcast format you use. So yeah. That's it for this episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. And if DC and Warner Brothers won't make a better Superman, I will. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by The M on SoundCloud.com artwork for Popcorn Junkie was made by Nafyo, N-A-F-Y-O for more of his artwork go to nafyo.deviantart.com Blah, 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 blah. Just forget that line of thought.